Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void or prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hall Saving Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at HallSaving.com, at HallSaving on Twitter and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Mall. Jamal Forge, you can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the you. We muddying things up over here in DC, man. Three straight dubs for the home team, the Washington Commanders. And look, I don't even know if I, I'm just here. For, look, I told people on Travel Dive, man, I'm just here. I'm just here for the wave, man. I don't know where this thing gonna take you, cause this team. Uh, the the more I talk about how, and and it's not we're not lying when I say this, right? And and if anybody says this, like if anybody thought, damn, I don't know how Washington won it, cause they should have lost it. If you're saying that, if you're thinking that. You're not wrong. You're 100% right. And I'm riding the wave officially from now on because they continue to find uh, ways to win. And I think that's what is actually, like, showing, like, a like that's an, uh, a change that you can't, like, visually see. It's not tangible. It's an intangible. It's a way that you you find ways to win. You rally. You, you, you show composure. You find these ways to win, and it ultimately instills and breeds confidence and like this nature that we can always get this done. And that is what Washington is doing. And that is for whatever reason why I think that this is not a good football team. They continue to find ways to win. And that is the most confusing phase and state of my life that I've been in. Uh, before I continue, man, uh, if, if you have not done so, make sure you hit that rating and review. That is definitely appreciated. Washington wins on the road against the Indianapolis Colts, 17 to 16 and another fourth quarter thriller for the commanders. Um, I think the theme of the day is two themes. It's two big themes here. It's scary Terry and it's the turnovers. Um, this is the second straight game where Terry McLaurin has made critical plays for this team in the fourth quarter to either solidify a win or make make the odds more difficult for the defense, I mean for the opposing team, or contribute to the go-ahead touchdown. Um, if not be responsible for the go-ahead touchdown. Um, and he did both last week against the Green Bay Packers. And then this week he does one giving 
a huge boost to this offense on a uh, a fourth uh, fourth quarter call, late fourth quarter on the last drive of the game with nearly, I think it was 40 seconds left. He throws a throws a Taylor Heineke does. First off, he does a lot to elude in the pocket and force a scramble drill. Um, and he connects, uh, locks on with Terry, Terry McLaurin and sends him deep. And Terry is already on, on the same page with him and uh, Taylor and, and, and immediately beats Stephon Gilmore because he gets lacking. And, and obviously uh, he has nobody over the top in that coverage that they were in. Um, and, and ultimately goes up, mosses him, snatches the ball from him. Uh, this is a, a play where Stephon Gilmore had both hands on the football and takes it away from uh, Stephon Gilmore, Terry McLaurin does. So uh hell of a play from Terry on the day, another efficient day, six receptions, 113 yards on eight targets. Obviously the biggest one was the 42 yarder. Um, And no, I don't think that was, that wasn't the 42 yarder. Uh, he had a, he had that long for 42 on the, the crosser. Uh, but that one, for the go-ahead that would have led to the go-ahead was a 33-yarder. Um, but, yeah, a, a very effective day for Terry McLaurin. Um, where do you even start? Because, obviously, I haven't even got to the turnovers. Um, let's start there and then circle back to the offense uh, this game. But defensively, Sam Ellinger goes 17 for 23, 201 yards, two sacks on the day, one turnover. Um, one fumble lost. Um, and then you have the Indianapolis rushing offense go for 29 carries, 135 yards, uh, one touchdown. They averaged, I believe, um, what is the number? 4.7 yards per carry on the day. Um, so very effective day on the ground. And I think there was one thing that was most important with this game. It's if you can limit the amount of yards that they have on offense on the ground. You can try to make this game one-dimensional for Sam Ellinger. You can try and pressure these guys. And I think one of my keys to the game was the the fact that they had to win their one-on-ones because this was going to be a look where uh, you can try to create pressure and not even get that confidence, allow that confidence to get into Sam Ellinger uh, on the day. And I think Sam Ellinger didn't look uncomfortable. He didn't look out of sorts in the pressure like, yes, you had two sacks, but I, but I think that the bigger picture was, like, he was able to make plays from the pocket and outside of the pocket. Um, and for all of the plays that that, that Colts offense made uh, through the ground and uh, the explosives, right, the defense forced two big turnovers on the plus side of the field for the Colts. And I think that's what ultimately did it for this defense, and that's what – uh, really put these guys in a bind. Three critical stops altogether. One was not a turnover, but two, um, one was the Ellinger fumble, and then the other one was the Jonathan Taylor fumble and plus territory. So these turnovers on top of uh, the one big stop by Jamin Davis contributed to the Colts going one for three in the red zone. So you had one fumble that was outside of the red zone, one fumble. I think the Jonathan Taylor one was inside the red zone, and then you had uh, a Jamin Davis uh, huge stop on third down at the goal line that ultimately contributed to a field goal instead of a touchdown because the play before where Jamin Davis was able to go through that A-gap untouched, the play before, um, 
I think it was Ellinger who got in on if it wasn't him, I think it was a receiver, uh, some type of play where they they initially thought that he had crossed the plane. Um, but he ended up being short, obviously. So it was really a a, a huge difference, a huge uh, point difference in, in, in swing like that. So I think that was really good for Washington to really be able to uh, stand tall in that situation for uh, an offense in Indianapolis who couldn't get things going pretty much all season. And they were able to get the explosives on Washington's defense, uh, whether it's through the ground or through the air. Shoot, if you think about even the last drive of the game, 22 seconds left, one timeout, and Michael Pittman gets to midfield on whatever route it was. It's some type of crosser uh, for at least 20-plus, and he drops it. So it was incredible just the amount of explosive potential that was there and the explosive plays that did hit for Indianapolis uh, and an inept offense in a sense. And they only had Jonathan Taylor back there, and they were able to really create um, against this defense. And uh, the turnovers really helped them. It really helped them. So a shout out to the the defense for creating those turnovers and creating those opportunities uh, for the offense again. And shout out to Terry McLaurin for coming through late at the end. But I think the bigger pictures here um, is sometimes what we always focus on on this show, especially post game. Uh, but but I think it, it matters here because you're trying to figure out like what this team is like. How how do you manage to to like understand what is what is being presented to you? And I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I came across this tweet <laughs> during the game and from Sam Fortier. It was on the drive in which Washington kicked their field goal when they were down 16 to 9 or 16, 16 to 7. Uh, and they made it a 16 to 10. There was a tweet by Sam Fortier that said that Washington had uh, 10 off- offensive drives to that point. And their field goal drive was the second time they gained 30 or more yards on the drive. This offense, for as good as it did in that fourth quarter on that last drive, um, and, and truthfully, the fourth quarter altogether, 10 points is the most that they scored throughout the quarter. I mean, screw out throughout the game in one quarter. Um, you go two for 12 on third down, right? Um, and you go 3.4 yards per rush on the ground, right? 28 rushing attempts. None of your running backs was really effective. It was the, the legs of Taylor Heineke that brought that running game to life, which is good. It's not a problem. That's that's what he's there for. But ultimately, this is the the type of offense that you have is, is an inept offense for, for a large portion of the game. There and even on that fourth down call, uh, where you're hoping just to get two yards and you're trying to really establish yourself on the ground like it's something that you have not been able to do throughout the game um even in the passing game there was some inconsistencies early on uh but that ground game was unable to get established that that north south fourth down call where you give the ball to brian robinson and just really truly hope that your interior offensive lineman can get a push in, in your backside blockers can 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 properly cut off these defenders and, and everybody fails <laughs> You don't get the push that you need that you're looking for. And the backside really isn't sealed off in the way that you want it to be or that it needs to be for that play. And everybody or, or Brian Robinson gets stood up in the backfield. 
Um, I I say this to say, like, I asked the question, how often, how sustainable is this offense? Um, this is an offense right now that really hasn't been able to get anything going. Like, last week against the Packers was as good as it got in some period in time. That was the first time you got over 20 points in, in, <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm tra- like, I'm, I'm staggering because I'm looking at the schedule right now since week two. So you're back at 17 points a game. And, and week seven was the first time you scored over 20 points since week two. And you, you didn't do it in week eight either. Ultimately. Like, how sustainable is this offense? Like, having those spark moments isn't something that you can really live with um, throughout the season and, and, and continuing throughout the season. Um, and for Taylor Heineke, uh, at one point, this team uh, really needed Taylor to rally and, and help this offense or help this team out as uh, the, the, the defense began to give up consecutive points. I think it was a, a point in time where uh, they gave up 13 unanswered. And that ultimately led them to being down by nine. Right. And uh, Taylor Heineke <laughs> throws the interception that gives them the, t- uh, the, the the opportunity to score a touchdown. And they do off that interception. Right. So I think all of this, all of this is important because. Uh, Heineke for for all the heroics and, and and how he's able to do things and you can't take away from the heroics. Like I had a conversation um, with somebody earlier today on Trapper Dive and like the conversation stemmed from you know the fact that Taylor I mean excuse me Terry McLaurin doesn't have a quarterback yet and, and some of these guys these receivers some of these receivers they just don't have that quarterback yet. But you got to understand like. Like part of this conversation, and while this is a criticism of, of of Heineke to 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 some of the ways that he plays, um, like forcing that pass in the triple coverage, which he did despite the his arm getting hit, he was throwing in the wrong direction, right? It was going to lead to a bad a uh, batted ball or interception, like the way the, the tra- trajectory was going. For all of the, the the heroics that Taylor Heineke pulls, the the trickery that he pulls. He has those moments where you're like, I understand things ain't going well right now, but you have to find a way to reel it in because we have so much football left in this game. And for God's grace, after that touchdown that Indianapolis scored after his interception, Washington goes down and scores the field goal. And then right after that scores another, uh, they score the go-ahead score that puts them ahead uh, for ultimately for good. Now, to my point with Taylor Heineke, um, that interception was one. But then we got to remember the interception that he almost threw at the end of the first half. And that was a byproduct of, of poor clock management on offense. Now, <clears throat> when I say poor clock management now, sometimes I, I start to realize, like, the way that they're playing things, the, the coaching staff is. Um, obviously, Washington got the ball with two minutes and 35 seconds left in the second quarter. I mean, they run a ball and ultimately milk it down or let it run down to the to the two minutes, two minute mark. Um, and after that, they run a second and five run up the middle and then a third and one run up the middle. 
Um, so they run, they get six yards on two plays that ultimately takes off a minute and 10 seconds off the clock. And it leaves them with 50 seconds left. And they have to travel. If they wanted to score, they have to travel 67 yards again to the end zone. Um, and they have three timeouts left. <laughs> and they don't call it, they don't call a timeout until after the first down that they convert on those two run plays that I mentioned previously. So bringing this up and bringing this drive up specifically, you know, you get Terry in this, I mean, excuse me, Taylor in a situation where on third and one, there's one timeout left and he's, it's 38 seconds left on the clock. And he's at the 42 yard line of Washington. And now you're forcing him to pass the ball, which is cool, right? It's okay. But now he's forcing it in a situation where he almost throws a pick. You don't want him to have to be like to to put that 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 burden and, and things like that on his back all the time, and and I think again my whole point was the the, the byproduct of the the clock management. Like you could have easily been in a situation where you're trying to be more aggressive at the start of your of your drive versus hoping to see if you're going to get a first down uh, because you don't want the Indianapolis Colts to get the ball. I don't think Sam Ellinger was that dangerous to where you had to really manage every second of that first half clock. I don't think you had to do that. So Taylor almost throws that first half interception. Um, and truthfully speaking, just that offense altogether, man, it's, it's just something where I asked this question earlier in the, in the podcast. I just don't know if it's really sustainable, man. You're going up against an offense in Minnesota who isn't going to hesitate to to be aggressive at least out the gate like they're going to look to put up 21 points and and just milk the clock after that they're going to hope to put up 24 28 milk the clock after that they're not they're not worried about anything else except for making sure that that clock is milked after they get a sustainable lead because the the commanders aren't going to I don't think they have any faith in the commander's offense. I don't think that the commanders have shown that they are a formidable threat at this point. So all of this is important when you look at how they played against the the Indianapolis Colts, the Green Bay Packers, the Tennessee Titans, the Chicago Bears, the Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles are two weeks away. So is the Vikings and the Eagles. You got some games coming along and, I think the the more important thing when you look at just how this offense is playing is uh, how sustainable is it? And that's my third time asking. Like you think about uh, Taylor Heineke, right? We talked about that. Then you got to transition to the running game. Antonio Gibson, he started out on fire. He had 14 total touches. Um, I think he had around 70 yards um, of offense. Uh, let's see if my math is right. What's 58 plus 19? That about that's a little bit over 70. About 74, 75, something like that. And I'm letting I'm letting my words live because I know I'm not good at math, but y'all gonna y'all gonna look at that and be like, boy, this boy's stupid. <laughs> um, but my point is, man, Antonio Gibson got was very effective and involved in the offense in the first half, and then all of a sudden, you know, things got quiet in that second half. I would love to see the game book so I can see how many touches he had in that first half and, and seeing what he what he had compared in the second half as well. 
Um, Terry McLaurin, I think the, the biggest thing with Taylor Heineke being involved is not that uh, he's getting the same amount of targets that he had with, with Carson Wentz. He had eight last game. He had eight this game. But also, I think the difference in in that uh, uh, Carson Wentz and, and Taylor is that Taylor knows when to work the one-on-ones. He knows when something is more designed for Terry than it is any other receiver. He's going to emphasize Terry on a given given call. And then also when you look at the 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 big play reception and the goal line, he knows I can trust Terry in this scramble jail situation. So we're going to go and hope that um or I'm going to give Terry a shot when this matters. So all of that stuff is important. Why is Siri? Siri is over here making noise on my phone while I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> Um, so Hi, all, it's nice to meet you, Jamal. Stop. Siri, stop. Okay. Relax. And don't don't make no more noise again. Please. <laughs> um, so where was that? Oh, yeah. That so Terry, in terms of the targets, eight and eight, uh, with, with Taylor Heineke in this in those two games. Um, but the distribution the distrib distribution has been more frequent and throughout a game versus uh the volume in a second half like where where Carson is is given four or or five of those uh eight targets in one half right so that's that's where I am that's where I am so typically um those are my thoughts uh with this game uh again uh, it's a it's a muddy game and I think that's going to be the theme moving forward. And I'll continue to like emphasize that like, this is a game. This is a, a, a team that really wants them to, to muddy up every single game that they're in, uh, make a, make a team filthy and, and be like, I can't believe that we're playing this game with, with Washington, but we're, we're in it. Um, I think that's kind of what we're facing right now with the, the type of team that they're playing or that the type of team that they are, excuse me, is that we're going to have to get dirty in every game we're gonna have to make sure that we find ways to win and steal some of these dubs. Um, and I think the the more that they continue to find ways to to win in this type of phase and type of type of environment that they're in, it kind of bodes confidence for 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 bigger games. And I think that's kind of what Minnesota, like I said, Minnesota's gonna try to get out there pretty big and, and, and pretty quick. Excuse me, they're gonna try and get out big and pretty quick against Washington to start that game. But ultimately, uh, if Washington and we'll talk about it as the week goes along. But Washington can can find a way to keep time of possession in their favor, right? They can prevent turnovers for some, like they did against Indy. Then you're talking about a team who's on the road to win four straight. <laughs> so before we get out of here, we're going to close on these one-sentence takeaways from today's game. I typically tweet this out after every game, and – I'll go through some of the comments and give some people their their credit. Uh, so Disco started out the the party with Terry McLaurin has arrived as a top receiver in the NFL. Uh, this is all positive and negative, everybody. So take it for what you want. <laughs> Zen 489, continuing on the treadmill of mediocrity with the worst 500 team I have ever witnessed. Um, El Cabong 82 says, fire Scott Turner. Uh, Phil says Taylor and Terry. 
Echo, 34-51. A season saving throw and catch. <laughs> and they got a gif. <laughs> they got a gif or a gif, whatever it is, of somebody pouring liquor in a uh, smoothie maker. So somebody getting drunk. <laughs> uh, Rob Lowe said the O-line sucks. No push, but I'll take the dub, though. Super Saiyan Hefe, T-Mac. Uh, Ned Wynn says Terry McLaurin is him. Dave Earl says today, again, Heineke shows as the QB is better suited for. Today, today again, shows Heineke. Oh, I think it was a typo. Heineke is the QB. Oh, Lord Jesus. Better than Taylor is the better quarterback suited for McLaurin than Wentz running the show. That was terrible. Do not tell anybody else that I did that, that I made that mistake. <laughs> um, okay, Corey Williams. Tory McLaurin, that's it. Uh, Kyle Smith for Jim, the good man, Kyle. Let Heineke play. Um, let's go ahead and keep scrolling through some more because there's a lot of the same. Ben's 80 said, love the flight, love the fight, love the ending, but Scott Turner is still trash. Uh, K dot, blow it up. Ty dot TJ. Heineke understands who the highest player, pirate, highest played player on the team is. That is a tongue twister. Um, I'm gonna stop saying stuff so I can um stop embarrassing myself. <laughs> or maybe I need some water. I don't know. Uh, but K Pyle said last thing, uh, dub. I think that's all that matters for some people as well. Um, okay. So this has been, I think. And one last thing to to close out because I, I I talked about the play, but I think that that moment is is big too, and I think it needs some attention. And then we'll close out. Terry McLaurin against Stephon Gilmore. Um, that moment is big for Terry, but I think what's enabling moments like that. I think the biggest mistake that people can do in the situation. Is, is sit here and criticize the throw. Like, you gave Terry a one-on-one opportunity on Stephon Gilmore, and you gave your highest-paid player, your best player, quote-unquote, quote-unquote best player on the team, a chance, and he came through. Like, that is a defining moment for the player who got paid that is a defining motor for the player who got paid, who is still developing, who the organizations put their trust in, who the quarterback is showing who he trusts in any moment. And I think for as far as you continue to grow, moments like that is what makes you an elite player. And they have to continue to find ways to get the ball to Terry in these moments because this is the makings of a person who can develop into that go-to guy no matter what and no matter what situation give me the ball do we need 10 yards on this play draw me something up scott and i'm gonna make something happen for you like that was scramble drill to perfection but he can get you to he can get you the ball in structure excuse me let me be clear scott turner can find a way to get terry the ball in structure Taylor McLaurin, Taylor, Taylor Heineke can find a way to get Terry the ball within structure 
based on scheme, based on coverage. And then Terry McLaurin can make a play to get open or make a play where a 50-50 is no longer a 50-50. It's a 70-30 in favor of Taylor. I mean, Terry, because he's just that guy. Like that moment against Stefan Gilmore, who was a dog ass cornerback. Again, he had four, he had two hands on the football. I don't even know where four came from. He had two hands on the football. That would have been a pick if there was anybody else out there to get the ball. But Terry was strong enough to strong arm it from Stefan and give Washington an opportunity at the one yard line. And for all of that, that's important. So, yeah, this is a very big one for Terry McLaurin. And I think for everything moving forward with the commanders, no matter how I feel about that team, right? Because depending on, you know, the makings of of what this four-game win streak or three-game win streak means to them and how they continue to develop as a team under these wins and finding ways to win and 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 and, and growing stronger and the, the core and the, the resiliency is becoming uh, better and, and bigger for this team no matter how I feel like these moments are big to them and I think no matter how we feel as a fan base or as people who are listening and, and, and followers of the Washington Commanders these wins are big for them and if you are happy and if you are a fan who just wants to continue to see them winning in the season right then this moment is big for you as well So shout out to Terry, man. Shout out to him for being able to do that at his in his home uh, hometown, his home city. And now up next is the Minnesota Vikings. That's it for the instant recap. Uh, I will catch you all throughout the week. Uh, stay tuned for that. And on to week nine. Exciting fourth quarter, man. But there's still tons and tons to be concerned about. Uh, good and bad, everything in between, all that good stuff. Y'all take it easy. Enjoy y'all day. Enjoy y'all evening. Whenever y'all listen, peace.